welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour, number 41, as we roll on through into 2023. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm here as always with Ryan Henderson. These shows, how should we describe them, Ryan? Do you have a, I always have trouble describing what they are. Do you have a good description for the listeners? Financial randomness, maybe. Anything financial markets, riffing on... We should come up with this like a really catchy name. I feel like Power Hours. Yeah, it's good, but it's not great. It's good, but it's not. It's not perfect. Yeah, but well, either we'll either either way, it's just the two of us. We got some topics that we're going to talk about: either finance, business, or just pure investing stuff. And yeah, what what do you got on deck, Ryan, to tease it up today? Well, there's an exodus at Salesforce going on. Um, we just talked about Amazon for a show that's coming out on Tuesday. Um, and they had Buy With Prime news, which I'll kind of touch on again. And then a bunch of other stuff as well. Yeah. The used car right. index, money.com's raising prices. Spotify had some advertising report, which is kind of interesting. Okay. And I have Taiwan Semi Earnings and a Disney activist report. So we'll have plenty that will last us through this next hour. A couple of housekeeping items. If you haven't yet, subscribe to our newsletter on Substack. It's just called the Chit Chat Money Newsletter. That is the best way to keep up with the show. Second, if you like watching these episodes, which these go live on YouTube every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Some of them might not be on 4 p.m. if we have some sort of travel for the both of us, but they will be most likely on Thursdays, once a week on YouTube, or uh, you can watch the video potentially on Spotify. Either way, the best way to watch it is on YouTube, and you can watch the replays whenever you want. Third, if you enjoy the show, give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Before we get started, this episode, today's Investing Power Hour, is presented by Stratosphere.io. It is the best web-based research terminal for company-specific metrics like KPIs and segment revenues. Stratosphere has clean data for KPIs, segment data that is triple-checked for accuracy, and beautiful data visualizations helping save you time and frustration digging through SEC filings. We use Stratosphere constantly for investing in our research. And in fact, we probably called our investing home stream, home screen, uh, excuse me. And you can too for free by going to stratosphere.io. That is stratosphere.io. The link is in the show notes. And as a disclosure, or not a disclosure, just as a tease for the mid-roll ad, we're going to be checking out some sort of KPI on Stratosphere, uh, sharing the screen and having fun with that. Okay. I want to tweet out the link, Ryan. Why don't you go through your first topic? Sure. Uh, it's Buy With Prime. So for those that don't know, Buy With Prime, it's the uh, Amazon basically is out or it's allowing merchants to integrate the Amazon checkout and delivery process 
even if it's not on an Amazon shop. So um, basically merchants that have their own online stores can integrate Amazon's uh, fulfillment, the, the entire buying process. So from actual purchase and then the payments associated with that, and then the actual delivery and handling of the, the package to consumers. Outside merchants can now adopt that and integrate it into their checkout process. So um, originally, this was just invite only. I think they launched in April of last year. Now they're allowing all eligible merchants in the U.S. to uh, to have it by January 31st. They had a little report basically saying covering what data they saw from their invite only participants, and they said that it on average increased shopper conversion by 25%, which makes a lot of sense. Um, They're also integrating, merchants can also integrate Amazon reviews into products as well. So um, they're adding that also. Basically, this is a way for Amazon to kind of fill any of the excess capacity they have in their fulfillment network while also providing value to merchants and getting the payment volume or the payment flow between the consumer and the merchant as well. Um, It feels like a huge win for Amazon and it feels like a kind of a, the, the only loser I can think of in this scenario is Shopify. Yes. Maybe some other, maybe Wix to some extent, but not really because it's probably, if anything, it probably kind of equalizes the CMS services would be my thought that like, if you can just integrate. Yeah. Yeah. Levels the playing field. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Basically, at least on this, on the delivery side, there's no bet. If you're using Amazon prime or you're offering it, there isn't that much of a difference then on the, on the actual shipping product side between a Shopify and a Wix. So maybe it kind of levels the playing field. So maybe it's a net benefit for Wix, but for Shopify, it feels like this is a huge, uh, basically like, a, a, I don't know, it's a stab, in, a stab in the back, like. Not even a stab in the back, just a really smart move. There's, I just, they'll eventually make some sort of decision here. Shopify will, I don't, I just don't know what they can do because this is, I guess there are two paths and I guess within the paths, there are smaller decisions they can make. One is they can allow Shopify merchants to add buy with prime to their stores, which is the best thing to do for the merchants to give them that option. Or second, they can restrict their merchants from adding buy with prime, which will hurt their financials potentially. Yeah. Cause just so for anyone that hasn't looked at Shopify, more than 50% of the revenue. Or sorry, it won't restrict it will help uh, adding it will hurt their revenue, but uh, restricting it will help them. I got that mixed up, but people understand what I mean. Yeah, a lot of Shopify's revenue comes from payment volume um, and the fees on Shopify pay. So Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know what I, I don't know what they're gonna do. I think the stock Look, e-commerce is going to grow. The the democratization of e-commerce is probably going to continue with small business sellers online, and that's all going to be a benefit for people like shop or companies like Shopify, right? But if Amazon is providing all of the value to the merchants 
delivery fulfillment by Amazon, uh, uh, checkout by Amazon with buy with prime reviews, all of that stuff. Won't all the more of the profits are going to go to Amazon over time, right? Because they're providing more value to both the merchants and the, and the consumers. Yeah, I would think so. What do you think Shopify stock has done over the last five years? Without checking? Yeah. That's per, I will load up Stratosphere after I ch- answer. I'm going to guess it is up 150%. No, but feel free to load up Stratosphere. Okay. I'm going to let me share the screen. Actually, I'm going to make a new tab so people don't make fun of me for having 30 tabs open. Yeah, you're a chronic tab user. Uh, yeah, it's cleaner for, it is better for the listeners too. All right, shop. Actually, why don't I share it already so I can show everyone how it works? Okay. Type in shop. Loads up real quick. You think this annoys podcast listeners? Uh, potentially, but you have to just describe what's going on here. Okay. Let me get that screen out of the way. Five-year return. Wow. I was not, not bad. Not bad. 228%. Yeah. Close. Pretty, pretty darn good compound annual growth right there. 27%. What's the 10 year? Are they not? Wow. Even 10 years, they're up 2000%. What was their CAGR and, uh, in 2022 at the peak must have been absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's a bubble for you. Let's look at three years. Ouch, minus 17. Not really that not really as bad as you'd think, though. One year, minus 69. Not great. Well, the price you pay matters. We all knew that. Some of us forgot it though. Anyway. Um yeah, I think I don't know. Well, what, what do you think? A, is, I think they're going to be in a really difficult spot. Is there... Okay, here's... We're going to get this wrong. But what do you think they're going to do? Shop, Shopify. Shopify? Yeah. I don't think they're going to offer it to their merchants. Wow, you, you think they're going to restrict it? Yeah. At least that's what they've tried to do so far. Um, or they at least have heavily encouraged not using it. I, I can't remember what technical reason they used why no they gave out some propaganda some some real some big time bs of why it wasn't safe or something like that uh which doesn't make any sense but the i could see that i could see that happening but it's i think it's that that'll hurt their business because on the margins people are going to choose either to sell on amazon or sell on other website providers big commerce has that integration now i'm sure everyone else is going to add this if they're the only ones left out, they either A, have to build the same logistics experience, which is impossible, or they're going to have a worse experience for their merchants. Yeah, but I think the software, I think their platform is still good enough to attract a lot of merchants. If it's a popular brand, I think it's still superior to all the other content management systems that you'll probably still go with them, especially if, if you it, lack technical expertise. What if you're bigger and you go to big commerce? Maybe. I think if you're yeah. bigger, 
if you're, it depends how, it depends on what kind of scale we're talking about. Cause you'll probably just go custom or maybe even WordPress, but I just think, I still think when I look at the, like the software, the platforms among the content management systems, I just don't think anyone competes with Shopify, even if you have the Amazon integration. I have a feeling that a lot, and this is like just pure gut. I have a feeling that a lot of people that shop on Shopify websites aren't as worried about delivery times. Fair. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Like Allbirds, for example, Allbirds is powered by Shopify. It's probably one of their biggest customers. That's a per- it's not like an impulse purchase where you're like, I need it in the next two or three days. Right. Typically. Right. But the value is higher if you can say it's a better it's value. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's always faster. It's always better. But I think it's, uh, yeah, it's probably less for something like that. And Shopify has the best integrations across other platforms. YouTube, um, Spotify, I'm sure the other social medias as well, right? So I still I think, think though, like I, I know other companies can build those, but that comprehensive offering is nice where you can distribute that your your website or your selling whatever it is to as many people as many eyeballs as possible. This might not hurt Shopify as much as as I'm uh, as I'm like guessing that it could but i think it still benefits amazon in a huge way yeah i think hmm yeah we'll see if it we'll see if it hurts them i guess we'll see we'll see all right salesforce uh i don't know if you've heard but uh have not followed closely but yeah so yesterday the cto of their cybersecurity segment uh left the company after being there for 10 years his name was tahir el jamal i believe sorry if i'm saying that wrong um a couple months ago so in november their executive vice president of cybersecurity, mark carter left and then brett taylor who was the co-ceo was supposed to be the successor to mark benioff left in november also the Slack CEO, Stuart Butterfield, the Tableau CEO, Mark Nelson, both those companies were acquired by Salesforce, both left in December. So within like the last three months, it's just been executive exodus at Salesforce. This month, they also announced they were laying off 10% of their roughly 80,000 person workforce. It, they pulled their guidance for 2023. Well, that's not fun. And they didn't do it during an earnings call. They did it just randomly. No, no. It was, I believe it was part of one of their quarterly reports. Okay. Okay. They said basically we can't. We don't know what's going to happen. They said due to economic conditions, which I love when people say that. What an due excuse. to economic conditions. The economy is great. Labor is so tight right now, and inflation's coming down. The economy couldn't be better. It's such a cop out. Egg prices it's are not, high though. Hey, I mean, I think egg prices, egg prices are really impacting Salesforce yeah. subscribers. No, but the and okay, maybe there's like a general pullback. You you could just say you could just give shitty guidance. 
you could just say, honestly, we think it's going to be a rough year. But instead, it's no, we're polling guidance because of macroeconomic conditions. It's not, it's, it's your circumstances, not the economic circumstances. There are so, so many companies that'll do well this year. Yeah. Well, hey, I think my thesis is coming true. Salesforce sells their software to too many unprofitable Silicon Valley companies. And during the Silicon Valley slash venture capital bear market that's going on right now, they're going to get hurt. Um, I think you're yeah. right. And this, also, you know what, this also, okay, go ahead. I was going to say buying Slack at 25 times sales is not, that doesn't help. I'm pretty sure they have less customers than the, when they acquired them. On Slack. Yeah. On Slack. I thought I read that somewhere. Interesting. Interesting. All right. You want to, well, the business. You know what? I revoke that quote. I'm not sure about that. And it's probably wrong, but I okay. thought I read that somewhere. Okay. So take that with a grain of salt. What do you think Salesforce Salesforce's trailing 12-month revenue was? And what do you think it was in 2014? I haven't. I've never looked at this business in depth. Um, well, we're going to do so soon. So I'm going to go $50 billion in revenue. Just go nice round number. And I think in 2014, it would have been 14 billion. All right. Not bad on the first one. 30 billion. But in 2014, it was just 4 billion. And if we go back even further, which again, I know we're advertising stratosphere here. Where's the scroll through thing? I guess we'll only go back to 2014. But either way, it's grown rapidly since then. It was only four billion dollars in 2014. I, their growth right has been, yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Go back even further. January 2004 was under 100 million dollars. The growth has been so impressive, but I wonder if the next five years are going to be tough for them. Yeah, I'm done looking at charts of uh more than 10 years what do you mean i'm starting to after i i i'm growing into the camp i'm I'm gonna be a macro uh i'm gonna be one of those bear those like perma bears all right the world is different (laughs) at four percent federal funds rate yeah you're probably right I mean, don't get me wrong. Salesforce probably provides a lot of value still, but the it's a different growth. is going to be so. Different. How many companies would have never even gotten off the ground from 2010 to 2020 if they were if they tried to start this year? Oh yeah, I agree. The yeah, Beyond Meat wouldn't exist. <laughs> no way Beyond Meat exists. <laughs> yeah, that's been structurally. But they've been structurally bankrupt since existence. I do not know how they're still trading publicly. Uh, yeah. And what inter- what's interesting for Salesforce is would these companies have, even if they existed, would they have a 200-person sales staff or a 10-person sales staff and be a lot smaller? That's where I think the impact is 
on Salesforce. Again, we haven't looked at them closely, so maybe I'm talking totally out of my ass here. But we are going to look at them though in two weeks. That is correct. And we have the so what you've been saying here though is that they laid off 10% of their workers, probably right. What also concerns me about Salesforce is they bought that that, that giant office thing that seems to be a big uh, wasted expense. The Salesforce Tower they have. This weird media division. They have these events where they bring in like the Foo Fighters. I, I give me a break. You're not profitable. That's and the, all the and that's all the these. Part. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Benioff sent a Slack in the all company Slack channel that said, "Our newer." I'm uh, kind of quoting here. It's not an exact quote, but I'm basically trying to give him the gist here. The he said our newer employees are not nearly as productive and and questioned he put as a question is this because they don't come to the office is this because our work from home policy and then i'm just thinking like are you just upset that you bought a giant building and you let everyone work from home just tell them you're the ceo yeah if you tell don't. Them, come, come to the office well yeah that, that this sort of stuff I think people are getting a bit, or executives are getting a bit, we saw Starbucks do this too, right? They're getting a bit, how, how, how am I describe it? Frustrated that they're not uh, just doing as well this year. We've seen Shopify, they eliminated all employee meetings. There's like these strange things that, that these companies are deciding to do. And I kind of, from my perspective, which is a total outsider. You just hire too many people. It doesn't matter if they're working from home or in the office. If they are not good hires, they're going to be bad and they're not going to be valuable to your company. And if you doubled your workforce in two years, yeah, there's going to be inefficiencies. That's just no one can manage that. I do think there's something to, if you were hired remotely, You've never met anyone physically. Maybe okay. Maybe you've met them once. You've gotten to dinner, gotten drinks, something like that. You you feel like a free agent almost. Mm, yeah, I agree with you that. You don't feel yeah. bought in. And the yeah. I think to, okay, Tobias Carlyle had some couple like a year ago where he's like in 2020, it was like, what, what can we do to make you like feel happy? Like the, the company is talking to the employees. What can we do to make you feel happy? What can we do? To Cause they, yeah, stay? they, they needed everyone to stay. They need, yeah. They, they, so many people had so many options for their work. And now after enough layoffs, everyone kind of has the mentality of you get to the off. And I think we're seeing it more gradually. You get to the office, you, Get, you work later than your boss and you you do the work that's required or you'll be fired. And yeah. there's no, like, it's just way less forgiving. And I know we like, you know, we don't have to live that life. So we're, it's not that we're just kind of sitting here on our podcast complaining about it, but I think it's, it's just totally changed the work workforce dynamics. Yeah, I, I agree. What's I'm definitely pro work from home. Except I think you're probably right for maybe say a new hire or for your first year or so, maybe you should be required, especially at these larger companies 
to be in person. And then you can maybe graduate once you get your feet set, once you understand the culture, once you understand how things work uh, w- w- within your company or whatever, then you can maybe graduate to have the option to work from home. But yeah, it's the start. It's probably a much more valuable to, because if you start at home, you're just kind of, all right, your company is the computer screen. But then I think, I, I think it'd be really difficult to run sort of a hybrid environment. Oh, well, they've been there for four years. They can go work from home. Now you come to the office. Well, uh, I guess it's measuring productivity too. You're like, like if if you're sitting, if you're a person who's come to the office every single day, and let's say you got the same role as the person next to you, get the same amount of work done. If he gets a promotion, you think, what the hell? I guess, but it really, it, it, I guess, it depends how much value you provide. If you're a very high value add to the company, you can probably. I worked at as an intern at some place where some salespeople. It was a sales-driven organization. Some salespeople didn't really show up at all, but it didn't matter because they produced. So, I think sales I think it might ma- be a little. Yeah, depends well, on the sales, role, I suppose. Sales is a lot of roles. Yeah, but I I agree. All right, tailoring Luke. off of that. Okay, because this is kind of relevant. Monday.com, which is kind of a workflow management platform, where you're basically. It's kind of hard. I feel like this is like me describing every software company, but basically you're like uh, updating, reporting what you're doing during the day. You have like a schedule. You can track progress and then people above and you can assign tasks. And then like, it's usually meant for, I think it started within the marketing department and then it usually expands to beyond the, or beyond the overall organization. This is what they're, uh, their, ca- their, ca- their catchphrase is a platform built for a new way of working. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, every, so, every other software company in existence. Anyway, the uh, they raised prices on their pro plan. I think yesterday by thirty five percent. That's sharp. That's that's high. And now people I've talked to. And from just looking at like the net revenue retention figures, it seems like people love this platform and continuously like add seats and, and spend more money on it. How many though, I think money.com was able to do this probably from a position of strength where once you're really on it and you use it a lot, it's, it's a pain to switch. But how many other companies are going to have to do this? They're going to have to try to raise prices as either cash burn runs out, they have debt they got that's coming due, um, and they have to get profitable in the next year or two. How many companies are going to try to do this? And then it's just base. I, I imagine a whole bunch of companies are going to consolidate their software spend, which yeah, maybe possible. Microsoft's the beneficiary. Possible, possible. My yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe Microsoft could be a beneficiary. I think this is the thesis on SaaS, though, where people, I guess, investors the last decade have talked about land and expand. Well, this is the expand, and sort of also the expand is expanding throughout the organization. But the, the, the I guess the general thesis on SaaS is that you get within the organization and then it's high switching costs. 
I could see a lot of companies trying this, and we're gonna we're going to find out who are the legitimate value adds or the unnecessary SaaS platforms, right? Yeah. I think so. If Money.com is really providing that much value, they could raise prices by thirty five percent. That's a steep gain in one year. Maybe they haven't raised prices in five years, but I think they did it last time in twenty nineteen. I saw. Maybe they're providing a lot more value now. It's an it's an aggressive move. But if they are profitable next year, within two quarters, <laughs> after thirty five percent price increase, like I think this thing's unownable. Probably. Well, it came Which out. We, and, um, we ahead. own it vicariously through Wix. Well, that that is true. I guess. Uh, what do you think? What's their revenue growth been? Wow, pretty impressive. Yeah, like strong. Yeah, they went from looking at stratosphere here, 2019, 78 million dollars in revenue, trailing 12 month, 465 million dollars in revenue. That's pretty darn good. Now you just got to fire half your workforce and your free cash flow positive. But yeah, let's look at that. Thanks for all the work. Uh, they are profitable, Ryan. Unless this is incorrect, it is saying they're. I think op- they. Oh wait, no, no. Operating they teeter income. on gap profitability, but they're free cash flow positive. Excuse me, I was looking at the wrong number here. Operating income margin of negative thirty-seven percent. So, yeah, they're cash flow break even, I believe. But the. Uh, well, I'm I'm assuming that's some. Chronic uh, stock-based compensation issues. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna guess. Okay, let's. Uh, we're about halfway point here. Why don't we do the halfway point ad for Stratosphere? I'm gonna share my screen, and Ryan, why don't you uh, give me a company that's large so we can get the KPIs, and we'll go look at an interesting KPI and see what see if uh, there's any interesting thing there. Name right. name or any any company. We are uh, we're looking at Meta next week. Okay, let's do Meta. So maybe get a jump start on that research. Well, let's look. What one do you want of the KPIs? DAUs, MAUs, ARPU. Let's look at ARPU. Yeah, go ARPU. Oh shoot! Pretty darn good. In twenty twenty one, do we have trailing twelve month? We do not have trailing twelve month yet. In twenty twenty one, it was forty one dollars. In 2013, it was $6.08. That is some impressive growth. Now, I think 2021 might have been a bit of a bubble year if we kind of look at this chart, right? I could see it reverting back in 2022. I bet if we looked at their financials, it has reverted back. But I bet, yeah, I bet it's come down a little bit with ad revenue coming down. Go to uh, operating margins. Okay. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> it used to be 50%. 2017, they peaked, and then everyone, that was when they figured out they had some expenses that they were neglecting. And now it's down to 30%. It's lower than it was. That's crazy. ARPU has, what What was that, like a 5, 6x? Something like that? Probably. Since 2014, their operating margin is lower today at 30% than it was in 2013. It looks like 35%. Yeah, 
That's crazy. Go to, go to over overlay the operating income chart on that. So margins have <laughs> obviously contracted, but I wonder nominally. Well, nominally it's higher. It's still down. Well, it's down from last year, but last year was a bit of an anomaly with the bubble spending. Um, True. But I mean, yeah, it's way higher than 2013. They only did $2.8 billion in operating income. Last 12 months, we are at 35. Yeah, the way that everyone talks about Meta, you would think that operating income was zero <laughs> over the last 12 months. Yeah, I mean, you'd think... Uh... You'd think they're planning to burn fifty billion. The uh, <laughs> yeah, what? this is. Let's say this is all you know. What would you buy the business at? Don't these look two, at the market cap. These two charts. Yeah, that's very. Hard. I would need a discount because you need more information if you only know these two things. Thirty-five billion dollars margins deteriorating. Mar- operating income has grown at an impressive rate. 10 times earnings. I mean, you, I mean, being like literally being a buyer, like, okay, like I'm actually buying shares. Oh, buying. Let's say under 10 times operating income. So maybe $300 billion. What's the market cap? Yeah. 350. Wow. It really, I mean, and it's up a lot. If we look at that stock chart from the dip. There was a, yeah. And uh, maybe it was, it's hard because there's so many stocks to look at. You can only invest in so many. It's possible that Meta was a generational buying opportunity in uh, the fall of 2022. Now, I don't think it was a generational buying opportunity in late 2021, like a That's lot of people are talking, like a lot of people are talking about. But maybe because so many people were talking about it as the stock went down like 70%. Every 10% down, generational buying opportunity, generational buying opportunity, generational buying opportunity. Oh, this is cheap. This is cheap. Look at the PE. <laughs> Maybe that is what... Uh, I know the E can change. Uh, that's crazy. That, no, that's what I'm saying. Maybe that is everyone... Everyone... everyone uh, Maybe that is what caused the opportunity to exist because everyone just got beaten down uh, by that. We'll see. The stock's still down from. Sorry, let me start from this. It is hilarious to watch Zuckerberg have complete disregard for analysts. I do like that. Okay, I, I, as a non-shareholder, I commend it because the analysts are begging for cost reductions, and he's just like, "We we're seeing some great progress in the metaverse." Yeah, yeah. Matt H says I'm talking myself into a meta investment. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I do like Google's at a similar price. You could theorize on a forward multiple, um, but yeah, I mean, meta could be. And they keep putting up good numbers. I mean, WhatsApp. There's some green shoots. Whatever. This is not a meta podcast. We'll do that on a separate show. Um, and he also asked about the data center spending at Meta like impacting margins in the near term. I think that's possible. They're also doing that gigantic AI spending that is a one-time bump. So we'll see. Uh, But let's go to my topics, unless you have something else, Ryan. I was going to say, that's an interesting thing. Talking yourself into an investment. How many times do you think you've made your mind up within like a week of researching a business 
and then you just spend a month or two finding confirmed evidence for your just the okay. decision you made. It's very hard not to do that. I I, I think right. Pretty hard not to to have that idea in your head. It's really, yeah. which is why I think doing too much research is harmful. There should be almost a time limit. Like, all right, you hit your 10-hour limit. No more research. If you haven't made your decision, you're either out or in. Because if you do too much, you can convince yourself to buy anything. Yeah, it's true. It's Yeah, it's so true. The, it's, it's like hard to get rid of. What That's would be why, uh-huh. like an ideal process for researching a business? What's your ideal process for understanding where it is now? Well, the audience should know that I am 26 years old and that I hopefully my process is better <laughs> 10 years from now, five years from now. But the ideal process, that's, I think, one is that the discovery process needs to be organic. That's ideal, where you find it either just reading some sort of article, not, not an investment pitch, or reading some random article, see it on a screener, whatever. Right, something like that. Listening to a podcast, maybe, maybe, maybe. Wait, that's our whole podcast. Well, no, I know, but it's a little bit. I I know it's great. The majority of the stuff I find is either through podcasts, the internet, or very other parts of the internet for potential new ideas, and I think that's great. But I, you know, I'm talking an ideal world. You want to find it purely organic because you want it to be unknown as you know, as unknown as possible. Maybe that's not possible in large cap land. But either way, then you read the annual report, the latest one. You write down the notes and a sort of relevant thing there. Then you read the proxy. I think you don't need to read the 10Q at that point. Um, then you go to the earnings, whatever their like earnings presentations are and earnings releases. Kind of get a context of what they think about the business, the important things they're thinking of. Then I read the conference calls and any other transcripts. And then I go and see what other investors think. Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing, the thing that helped me in, so we looked at Amazon recently, something I liked doing, and I'm going to try to do this again, and it was helpful because Amazon's conference calls were so short, is reading the previous four in like in in the mm-hmm. time that they were produced. So you almost get like the experience of being a shareholder for the last year. Yeah. Don't start with the latest one. That's actually great. And then you go, yeah. And you can start earlier if possible. Yeah. If you, if you have more time. But, I mean, yeah. you don't, you probably don't need to read the all four from 2017, maybe just one from 2017. Yeah. The other thing that's like the, a big, it's a growing signal for me now is not when someone buys a position, but when someone buys a position for the second time, I when, found uh, it, like oh, if okay. another investor I, I okay, admire okay. or someone has like re-entered a position, or they've owned it for a long time and now they're pitching it, that's a better a better signal to me than like a first time buyer. Mm. Yeah, because it could be a starter position. It could be something that's going to lead you know lead the portfolio in a couple of months. What's an example? Did you see that recently that made you think of that? Yeah, I, I, I read a VIC pitch on Amazon when we were researching it. And the guy was like, I've owned this for 
seven years, I'm I'm pitching this now for like the first time on here. It's the best buy it's been in seven years, is what its thesis is as an owner. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Or but right. like because when I was thinking like when I was when we're looking at our own portfolio, I when we re-enter a position that we've sold before, it means I feel like I have a good grasp on what the business is worth. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move to the Disney activist one. I'm gonna share the screen, but don't worry for the listeners. I will describe it as well. First slide here. Who is this? Try and partners have not heard of them, although I will say I'm very not up to date on what the other funds are there out there in the universe. First slide, Disney, restore the magic. That's pretty good. Yeah. Disclosures. Okay. Oh, that's a lot of words, huh? Have they not did they not go to PowerPoint school? Did they know that you're not only you're supposed to have less than hundred words on a slide? Whatever. What do they say? Disney is the most advantaged consumer entertainment company in the world. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Yes. You think one? I'd say two. But maybe Netflix now. I go Nintendo one. Nah, I'm not still taking Disney. Disney's number one. Yeah, it's. I think it's one A, one B to me. It's pretty close to me. Uh, let's see. They say it has unrivaled global scale, irreplaceable brands inimitable parks and can leverage the Disney oh drink why will to monetize its intellectual property for these three reasons we believe the company is well positioned to succeed however Disney's recent share price and operating performance have been disappointing blah 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 we all know that we believe the current investor sentiment on Disney is low they underline this it is low oh great reflecting the hard truth the company is in a, in a crisis. Don't you love how they talk to management? It's, it's think of your management just reading this. Like it just it just be awful. Uh, try try and believes that it is well positioned to facilitate positive change at Disney. That's also a if you're playing the activist drinking game, you're, you're, you you got to take a lot a lot of drinks here. <laughs> they always say faci- facilitate positive change. Facilitate yeah. facilitate positive change is pure here. Uh, gosh, there's too many words in this one slide. Um. Let's see. Try an overview. Don't care about you guys. What differentiates us? I don't care. I don't care. Don't care. Oh my God. How big is the position? This is it. And I've looked at. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's see if they have that. I'm pretty sure it's not. Their total AUM is 7.6 billion. Well, so they wrote an activist letter. So anyone can write an actor. Anyone can write a letter. I don't think activists, I don't think it's considered activist until you're actively vying for a board seat or something. Yeah. What do you think about this though? Disney total shareholder. This is, this is, you know, good stuff. Disney total shareholder return consistently underperforms over the last 10 years. Disney is up 107%. S&P 500 is up 223%. And the company proxy peers are up 478%. I'm assuming that's the ones they're comparing themselves to on the proxy statement. I mean, that's a pretty big indictment of Disney there. Uh, financial performance has been disappointing. Since 2018, adjusted revenue is only at 41%, and $24 billion were driven by uh, the 21st cent- first century Fox deal and record park performance. 
yeah, as I say, how much of that is due to just price increases at parks? Yeah. Cost of services over the same time were up 66%, meaning that as a percentage of revenue, cost of revenue has gone from 55% to 65%. SGNA is up. Adjusted EBITDA margin is down. Free cash flow margin has really gone down significantly. In 2018, we were at 16.5%, and now we are basically break-even. They're only generating $1 billion in cash a year. And they've gone from one times net leverage to 2.7 times net leverage. Uh, What's their advice? I know, I know. I'm trying. Uh, it's 35 slides. Okay. Yeah, where's their advice? Where's their advice? Yeah, they, they acquired Fox. We all know Fox acquisition has not delivered results. Okay, acquisition. Yeah, they said acquiring Sky would have been bad. What do they? What do they want to do? What do they want? I think this is a giant. It's a giant thirty-five page complaint. Yeah, where? Where? Okay, they they better have some sort of. Uh, no, what did Musk not. say to that guy that was trying to get on the board? What are your great ideas? Oh, to Gerber? Yeah, that, that has been something. What are your great ideas? That's, that's what Iger would probably say if you were reading this. Okay, this is, this, is, this is a bust for listeners. They didn't say what to do. Okay, well, well, let's ask ourselves that question, Ryan. What do you think Disney should do? Probably it's a, it's a tough question, but what, what this are you? is why I don't own it. Because you don't know what they can do. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Like, what do you get more creative? I don't know. Like, have a new hit. They're already <laughs> juicing. Like, they're juicing their brand. Like, they got to come up with something new that's wonderful. That's like additive to the business. Or what do you do when you run out of new ideas? You acquire which has been really stupid so far. The acquisitions have been. So if I'm just, I would have uh, no idea what to do. I, yeah, I agree. They're in a tough spot. Parks. It's weird to say they're in a tough spot because their market cap is so high. If they were comfortable being a smaller business, it's such a, it's it's such a high quality business, but their, their market cap, their enterprise value, the expectation of how big this business should be is too high. Jack up the prices on the bundle. That's my answer. Do you think, what do you, do you think there would be churn or what? Yeah, some, but they doubled prices on ESPN plus and saw nothing. Yeah, but that's sports. There's, if anything, we know sports has, is a tough market, but if anything, there's pricing power. That's what I'm saying. I mean, what's the bundle? $15 today. You get ESPN plus Disney plus. Hulu Live TV. I would come up with your best series that you've got and then double the price of your bundle. Disney bundle. I'm looking at the price right now. Uh, you it's, can tell how good uh, a best investor I am. <laughs> it is now 20 bucks a month for no ads. And if you have the trio with ads, it's only 13 bucks a month. Yeah, let's bump up that ad one to 20, to be honest. I feel like they got yeah. a lot of pricing power. Okay, well, that was a bust of a investor activist deck. I'd be surprised if if uh, if Iger even read that. Yeah, the only reason I'd read an activist deck is to see if they have any ideas worth considering. 
If and I'm a CEO, I'm probably going to first someone, you know, your assistant comes to you the day and you, they say, oh, someone wrote an activist deck. You go, okay, what's their AUM? Can they hurt me? Oh, yeah, no. Oh, okay, fair. don't worry about it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, next thing. Let's look at Taiwan Semiconductor Earnings. They're always first of the season. Revenue grew by 27% last quarter to $20 billion USD. And if we look at by platform, 2022 revenue by platform year over year, we have HBC, which is their, just think of cloud, data centers, stuff like that. Uh, that grew 60%. Smart Chrome grew 30%. IoT, Internet of Things grew 47%. Automotive grew 74%. I mean, is this just one of the best businesses in the world, Ryan? Buffett thinks so. He does think so. Look at that operating margin too. 52% for a manufacturing business. And as you think about that, we have a comment from Matt H. More Lindy, which means more lasting. I think that's probably what he means. Disney or Apple? Oh, Disney. 100%. But I don't know. Disney's lasted longer, so by definition, they are, they, they were incorporated a hundred years ago, or I don't know exactly when, but it, it was before Apple. So, who do you think has a higher problem? Okay, I, I assume the reason he's asking is not who's been around longer. Who do you think will be around longer? The better bet, oh, Disney. Come on. Yeah. Yes, but I could see it having way worse returns. Oh, I don't care about Yeah, sure. Sure. Disneyland will be here. Unless the world somehow goes to the dark ages, Disneyland and Disney World will be here 50 years from now. He also says, I think it's more probable that Weschler took a huge punt on uh, Taiwan Semi. I don't, I guess, I don't know if he's spoken out about it yet, but. That would be a huge chunk of Weschler's money that he manages. Does, yeah, don't they both get $10 billion? Well, they started with 10 so I bet it's higher now. They probably have 20 something like that. Still, either way, that's huge. But so far, the company has executed. Here's, here's the question I, I posed to the Twitter audience today. Do you think Taiwan Semiconductor could be the largest company in the world 10 years from now? I'm not saying, do you think it will be? Do you think it could be? Is there a path? I think there is. Yeah, I mean, sure, it could. Uh, I think I'd have a different answer for Will. How big Fair. is it today? What? Three hundred forty uh, billion dollar market cap. It's possible, but damn, that'd have to be a hell of a ride. And I think it would have to be at the expense of like every other. I think, think? Ama- I think Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple will still be bigger. You said 10 years? Um, yeah, 10 years. Yeah, that's, they're going to make up a lot of ground in 10 years. What if in 10 years they diversify away from China and that risk goes away and they start trading at 25 times earnings instead of 10? Well, yeah, that would certainly help. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would definitely help. But the obviously, yeah, I guess obviously that would help. But yeah, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, I think it's probably unlikely, but it's it's only possible. It's only possible. Are you are you talking yourself into an investment here again? No, no. We always sound so bullish on these shows, and none of the t- companies we talk about we would buy. What are you bearish about? Bearish? If you had to pick a company to go bankrupt this year. <laughs> we already talked about it. Beyond Meat, right? Isn't that so easy? No, nah, the convertibles aren't due for two years. They're not going bankrupt until not this year. Well, Carvana, Carvana. Look at that balance sheet. It is bad. I that segue is up. I'm pretty sure it's up like sixty percent year to date. Yeah, I was writing fool a fool dot com article on it, and I was frustrated because up forty six percent this morning. Yeah, it's a. 46% today. 75% in the past five days. Yeah, I think it's a short squeeze. Over the last year, it is down 96%. Including oh. that, including that jump. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's the base case is Carvana is going bankrupt. It, it might not, but the base case is it's going to. That's systemic. Fed needs to step in. The Fed, yeah, the uh, <laughs> but that leads it. That leads into, systemic now. Yeah, that leads into your used car prices thing, though, because if yeah. used car if used car prices fall more, they are screwed. Carvana is screwed, but it seems like you have a data point here that they stabilized last month. Yeah, that's pretty much the only data point I have. There's like the Mannheim used car index, and they produce their data. I think for. The month of December, the average U.S. car, the average, I think it's U.S. used car price, uh, was flat month over month. So it wasn't declining. I think it might have even bumped up a little bit, but also the holiday season. It might be more in more demand. Um, I don't know. Like, how far can used car prices go down? Well, I'm going to pull up the chart and show you, Ryan, that we're pretty far away from where it was in 2019. Pretty darn far, even uh, inflation adjusted. Let's pull up the old chart. There it is. And I will share the screen. I bet you've seen this, but... So I've looked at Ally so many times, and there's one unanswerable question this is, for me. This is updated in Dece- the last, for December. We're at 219 right now. For their index to 100 back to 1997. In 2019, pre we were just a tad above 150. So even adjusting for inflation over the last two years, I feel like we're in a it's still gotta be a bit of a bubble, especially with interest rates up, because the financing on the, the purchases are gonna be more expensive, similar to homes. Or people are just going to spend yeah. a, a thousand bucks about their car. I guess they can do that if they really want. Okay, here's the thing: if you don't think that the used car prices drop to like 150, back to the 2019 levels, and if you don't think that, or even 200, two or 190. That's still pretty far fall from here. Okay, but what are the what are the driving factors? What would happen to like car repossessions? Uh, 
I think that's a little different, although it is, to be honest, not an industry I know very well. If okay, let's say like a whole bunch of people were defaulting on their car loans. I yeah, used car like, prices. There'd probably be a bunch of used cars available. Supply supply would go up. Prices I would think would go down. Right? Is that plausible? Yeah, but then you also have to weigh like new inventory from like yeah. the automakers. Yeah, and it feels like there's going to be a glut of cars. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's maybe, bookmark maybe this. Maybe anything in the used car market is untouchable. I say let's bookmark this and we'll have to look at this six months from now. I want to go to that Spotify report though because that'll be interesting. I'm sure any listeners will be interested in that too. Here, let me pull this bad boy up. Yeah, only got five minutes, but I think we can hit it. Spotify is a, uh, a holding within Arch Capital, our fund that Brett and I co-manage. Although so, we should, uh, are you no, able to share? Can I sh- no, I'm not. Okay, I'll do it right now. Uh, Just I pull it up yourself. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, okay. We, it is a holding, but one that, to be honest, both of us get frustrated with, so it's not like we're going to talk too bullishly on it. Um that's very true it's been uh, basically this is like an ads report um, and more just I guess podcasts in general it shows the year over year growth and podcast downloads if I was going into this blind and I had to guess what downloads what download what growth rate downloads grew at in the US I probably would have guessed under the number they reported Okay, and what was the number? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, thirty-three percent. So, podcast downloads in the United States grew thirty-three percent year over year. I'm basing that solely off some of the attrition that we had. Uh, it was kind of hard for us to grow listeners last year. However, stagnation, not attrition. Let's be fair. We got to be fair to ourselves. Flat. It was flat for a bit. It was flat. <laughs> All right, but then you scroll down and it shows the perf- podcast that performed the best. And is it right there? Oh, okay, right here. Yeah. And it's health and fitness, religion and spirituality, history, and then oh, this is ad spend by advertiser, like which which area people advertised on more, and then music also grew. And don't see investing in there. I don't see business podcasts. I think business podcasts were also in a bear market. But I also get how, you know, religion and spirituality, they might get a boost if, uh, you know, during a bear market, whatever one's, whatever gets crunched. But it, 100%. Gains, there was, you got to pray for the gains. There was definitely a bear market in uh, investing in business podcasts. Uh, that's got to track the market as well. Anything else you thought was interesting here? No, I mean, just the international growth. Um, it's impressive. But, I mean, get, yeah. say some of the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, so podcast downloads in France grew 379%, Spain 298%, Italy 244%, Germany, UK, which are more mature markets, both 64 and 52%. So, I mean, downloads are growing quickly across the board, but it feels like still, 
it just kind of puts in perspective and it's been annoying as a Spotify shareholder because it doesn't feel like podcasts fulfilled what we thought they could be necessarily, at least in the last year. But then this kind of puts back into perspective for me how young and nascent the market is, especially for podcast advertising. Yeah. And another thing I thought was interesting was the diversification of where they're listening. And this is where I guess we're talking around book because we started doing video on our shows. Uh, so there's 82% growth in smart TV, 131% growth in car listening, and 83% growth in smart speaker. This convergence of YouTube shows and Spotify shows, I think is going to be a bigger trend over the next three years where the smart TV is going to become more and more important. Yeah, I'm curious if our audience, what percentage listens listens in their car on their commute versus over a smart speaker or smart TV? Do we have any way of knowing whether someone views us over a smart TV? We might. Uh, we might. I don't know if they give smart TV, but I think they give a few different devices. Um, Let's look at yeah. that. We'll find that. Yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it's five o'clock on the West Coast. So, All right. Close it out. Good show. Remember, uh, check out Stratosphere for free at stratosphere.io, the presenting sponsor of Chit Chat Money. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not uh, financial advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for the few in the chat. Matt H, as always, with the comments. More of you should join, though, and join at 4 p.m. Pacific time every Thursday or watch the replays on YouTube. But either way, listening or watching is good with us. Thank you all for watching and listening. We'll see you next time.